Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. you have your Bible, quickly go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, while you are turning there, let me give you a little bit of background and context as to where we are in the Scripture and what we're going to endeavor to talk about for a few moments. Uh, Paul is addressing this letter to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's addressing several key components in regards to their worship. In fact, when you get to chapter 11, you can feel the shift in uh, not only his tone, but in the address he's making to these believers. And he says, look, when you guys are coming together and you're coming together in worship, there's a few things, he says, as an apostle, I want you to hear me say. Because I'm I'm very glad that you're coming together often. But there's some things about when you're coming together, you, you need to know that God is a God of order. And you need to understand that there are some things that God expects when you come together, one he 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 does he does commend them in that they are coming together ra- rather consistently. The, the author of Hebrews actually, almost in a way, pre- presents a warning to believers and says, "Y'all are skipping out on the times when you're supposed to come together." He says, "You're not supposed to forsake that that, that when you assemble together." He goes, "God expects you to be present with the brethren when you come together." And Paul's kind of saying, "Hey, I'm glad y'all do that, but..." Y'all are having some crazy circus church services. And he says, so he spends 11, 12, 13, 14 going through some things that bring order. Not boxing God in by any means. Giving giving us some revolutionary insight to the work of the Holy Spirit. But he says, "Let's, let's do some things decently and in order. And before he ever tackles the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit... He addresses this topic of the Lord's Supper. Some of us know it as communion. And he he starts getting into some misuse and misunderstandings that are happening with the Lord's Supper. And I don't have time to break into the full context, but I'll hit a little bit of it and then get to the meat of the message. But he's basically saying, look, you've got divisions in your church. You've got heresies that are being taught in your church. Y'all are turning the Lord's Supper into a fiesta and a feast. He says, some of y'all are showing up intoxicated to this thing. Some of you that are of the upper class are bringing so much food with your privilege, you're gorging this out like it's a Golden Corral buffet. There was a much bigger division in classes and classifications of society in those day and age, especially in Corinth, than there ever has been in our American system. The poor would sit on the sidelines in these church gatherings and they would watch the rich just go into glutton mode and feast out and veg out and drink out, and they were turning this thing into something completely that it was not supposed to be. In fact, if you go into biblical history, you find out that they were doing food, fellowship, and faith in a very common and consistent way. Basically, they were breaking out the Tupperware and the covered dish supper long before Gertrude and Mildred were ever doing it on the church grounds. They were doing that kind of thing, and they, they had made the mistake of letting the Lord's Supper flow into the covered dish, and they were supposed to be separate things. 
And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, right here he's quoting what Jesus said from the gospel accounts where he was sitting at the table at what you and I would call the Last Supper. He says in verse 23, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Right here he's reminding them where he got this from. He says, I received this from the Lord. It's important to know the source of information, especially in a day and age right now when there are so many variations of supposed truth. Can I say this? There are not variations of truth. There's one truth. And you're not entitled to your own truth. You're entitled to your own opinion. But your own opinion is never classified as truth. There's only one version of truth. Paul says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as you drink it, look, here's the same phrase again, do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting to note that Paul received incredible insight from from the Holy Spirit or in his own words directly from the Lord Jesus having not been there in person. I want you to understand that. Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not there in this room where the Lord's Supper took place. But we also know that Paul met the Lord Jesus in person in Acts chapter 9. There are other accounts where God divinely revealed himself and spoke to Paul. So one may assume that Jesus pulled him off to the side and said, hey, here's some things I want you to do and ordain in my New Testament church. Or maybe he's just referring to the writings of Luke and the Holy Spirit just kind of stamped approval on what Jesus said and God revealed to him what he wanted to do. What we see is that Jesus... What he instituted with the disciples at the Last Supper, which was actually a Passover meal that night, we see Paul reaching back into that account and ordaining this as an ordinance of the church. It was meant to be a a memorial. And every time in every church service that it was done, that church service and that ordinance was supposed to be like a memorial service commemorating that which Jesus said, do in remembrance of me. Note this, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two ordinances that were instituted for you and I to practice when we gather and worship. So in writing to these Corinthian believers, Paul is recalling what Jesus said that night at the Last Supper, and it links us to a chain of events, ladies and gentlemen, that forever change history, the world, the church, and every one of us in this room who name the name of Christ for our salvation. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus had a last wish. He said, this do in remembrance of me. This is how I want you to remember me. This is how I want my followers to remember me. This is how I want every believer, man and woman, to remember me. This is how I want my church 
to remember me. 2,022 years after my birth, I want new grace to remember me on this moment, this occasion, on this night. I think we can all agree that there are some rather important and significant things that we must remember. I'll put it to you like this. There are some things that you and I should never forget. We should never forget a loved one's birthday. I woke up this morning and did as has not been accustomed to me lately on Sundays. I slept in. I rolled over and I noticed that my wife had already left the bedroom and was already downstairs. And the moment I woke up, as I was going downstairs, I reminded myself, it is June 19th. It is my wife's birthday, and it will be the first words out of my mouth when I see her in about 15 seconds. And sure enough, I walk down in the living room. Her and I have the house to ourselves this weekend and this morning. Just me, her, and a golden doodle. And I walk down in the living room. And I said, happy birthday, baby. And she just gave me a thumbs up like, you passed. I made a point to reach out to my father and say, happy Father's Day. And I know many of you did the same. And if your father's already went on to glory, I'm sure you said to your own father in heaven, Lord, give my daddy a hug. Give your son a hug from his son or daughter. There are some things we just can't forget. Some things we must always remember and hold dear to ourselves. In fact, I got a little intrigued when I was writing the sermon about the capacity of the human mind and human memory. I wrote this down. Check this out. The human mind can hold 2.5 petabytes or 2.5 million gigabytes. In other words, your mind has the capacity, fully functioning, a healthy mind, I might add, has the ability to hold three million hours of television shows. If your mind could be processed and allocated in digital format, you could watch three million hours of Seinfeld, three million hours of Friends. Three million hours of your favorite movies if your mind was able to allocate digital memory space. One, one writer wrote this down. He said, we tend to forget memories for two primary reasons. One, because in the initial moment of the memory being made, there may be certain factors that cause us to struggle in storing the information properly where it will be difficult to be retrieved later. And then he said, the other factor is time. Because the more time goes by, the more our mind tends to hide the memory from our ability to retrieve it. May I say this? There should be no factor in this room this evening as we partake of the Lord's Supper and we travel back in time and remember what our Savior did for us on that lonely night in Jerusalem, there should be no obstacle in the process of the memory and there should be no amount of time that has passed 
that would keep us from retrieving the wonderful promises of what Jesus has done for this church. Somebody clap your hands if you believe that. Jesus said, let this ordinance be a reflection of your heart towards me. Do it. And never forget why you do it. When we heed Paul's tender call to never forget what Jesus instituted and ordained when he said, this do in remembrance of me. Every year in the month of September, America's minds go back to September 11th, 2001. The theme and slogan has been forever etched and will forever echo in the canons of American history. Never forget. Never forget where you were the moment those towers came down. And never forget the reality and the fact that it happened. Jesus commissions and Paul reinforces this truth tonight to you and I. Do not forget your Savior, and put us at the table with our Jesus so that we will never forget. I want you to say that with me, never forget. Come on, say it with me all over the house, never forget. Number one, I want you to see this, never forget. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, never forget the person of Christ. Never forget the person of Christ. Jesus said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of, underline it, me. Do this and never forget me. Can I submit to you that Jesus was a real person? He lived a real life and he made a real impact. I believe tonight that as we prepare our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to partake of this Lord's Supper as one body tonight, I, I believe we need to stop right here and push pause and we need to reflect and remember that we have a Savior who made a real difference in our lives. A Savior who made a real impact, a real person who really loved you and I, a real person who came and lived, a real person that was a significant factor and a difference maker between our eternity of going to hell and now going to heaven. We need to remember that our job and our Obligation tonight is to be occupied with Jesus. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach this word that God has laid on my heart. Uh, Paul went out of his way to remind the Corinthian audience that we are not to get lost in the divisions, the heresies, and the drunken feast, or the gorging of appetites. We are not to get lost in all the practices, the traditions, and the changes that come and go with the church. I wrote this down. We must not lose Jesus in the madness of the church. We must not lose Jesus in all the hoopla of the gatherings. We need to remind ourselves tonight that Jesus has always been the main thing and he is the main thing. We cannot forget the person of Christ. Amidst all the denominationalism and all the preferences and the standards and the convictions and the differing teachings, and you believe this about that part of the Bible, yet I believe that about this part of the Bible, and we find ourselves disagreeing and dividing and splitting hairs over things that really ain't going to make a difference in the big timeline of eternity. And Paul grabs the church by the collar and he says, you need to get back to the main attraction. The main attraction is not your traditionalism, your 
main attraction is not your practice or your church Sunday performance. The main attraction always has been, always will be, J-E-S-U-S. He is the cornerstone of the foundation. He is the all in all. He is the I am, not the great I was. And you need to remember that Jesus, he is the main attraction. And he is the main agenda of the church. Somebody help me bless him if you believe that Jesus. Oh, you need a copy of the Bible because it tells us that everything biblically points to Jesus. The Old Testament is littered with pictures and typologies that point to Jesus. Can I tell you cover to cover, it's all about Jesus. He is the treasure of the Bible. He is the truth of the Bible. And I want to tell you on every blessed cover, on every blessed page, he is the theme of the Bible. The Bible teaches and tells us that there are Old Testament figures that point ahead in time to the coming of a Christ, to the coming of a Messiah, to the coming of a Savior, a man made God, God made man, Emmanuel, which is God with us. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Noah's ark pointed ahead in time that there would be a protection and a preservation that when the wrath of God would come down, if any man be in Christ, the same one that said, I am the door, when God shuts the door, he shuts a door that no man can open. And the moment you're in the ark, not one drop of water is getting on the inside of what God sealed. Jesus is the ark. My Bible tells me that Jesus was Jacob's ladder. As we see the angels ascending and descending, going from earth to heaven, 2,000 years ago, God established a ladder, a savior, a truth, a life, but a way for man to get to God and God to get to man. Can I tell you that he was the sacrificial lamb? He was the lamb without blemish. He was the lamb without spot. He was the lamb that laid down his life, shed his blood, and made a way for our sins to be covered, washed, forgiven, reconciled, redeemed, and we were able to go free and get out of Egypt. Can I tell you that our Jesus, he was the Old Testament tabernacle. He was the presence of God made manifest and walked with us. That no matter where we went in the wilderness, we've got a Savior by our side that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. For lo, I am with you always. I'm about to do my own shouting up at New Grace tonight. Can I tell you that he was the veil in the temple that was ripped from top to bottom where he said, I will make a way out of no way. I will consecrate for you a way into the holiest of holies. That is my flesh. Can I tell you, Jesus is my Sabbath day. He's where I find rest. Rest for the weary. Rest for the heavy. Rest for the weak. Rest for the broken. And rest for the diseased. 
Can I tell you, he is our manna. He is the bread that has come down. He satisfies my soul. He is food to the hungry. He is my portion, and he is my provision. Can I tell you that he is my rock upon which I stand? All other ground is seeking sand, but I've got a rock that'll never roll away. I've got a rock upon which I stand. Does anybody know the Jesus I'm preaching about? I said he's a rock. He's the ark. He's the lamb. He's the ladder. He's the temple. He's the veil. Do you know him? All pictures pointed ahead in time said he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And now in 2022, there's no need for a picture. Pictures point toward him coming. Now there's no need for a picture because Jesus just left us with something to practice. A wafer and fruit of the vine. Whatever, what, whatever you want to theologically classify the cup as. Whether it's Welch's or Tony Port. It points back. Everything in the Old Testament said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But now we have an ordinance that's been instituted that says, he came, he came, he came. Never forget the person of Christ because it takes us back to the fact Jesus was real. And he became one of us. Paul said, in quoting Christ, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what's this? You do show the Lord's death. You show, you declare, you proclaim the Lord's death. I wrote this down. One cannot remember Jesus as a person without remembering what he did. The two are inseparable. You cannot have the person of Christ and remove from him what he did. They are intertwined and joined by history and destiny. And Paul tells us that when partaking of the Lord's Supper, we declare and we honor his death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I submit to you that in this day and age, the world needs to know that there was a price paid for their ways. The sinner needs to know that there was a sacrifice slain for their sin. And we must never forget that there was a Savior that died for our soul. We not only never forget the person of Christ, but we must never forget the pain of Christ. The Bible tells us that the suffering of Jesus was threefold. It tells us that emotionally his heart was torn. 
He sat at the table that night and broke bread with a devil. He got down from supper, laid aside his garments and took upon him the clothing of a servant. Wrapped in a towel, he washed the foot and feet of one that would walk away from him. He washed the feet of one that would deny him. And he washed the feet of one that would betray him. Emotionally, his heart was torn, for the Bible says at one point that all forsook him and fled. He was put on public trial, mocked and humiliated before Jew and Gentile alike. Physically, his body was tortured. We read throughout the gospel accounts of what was done to the precious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Roman guards were not patty cake police officers. They, they were conditioned killing machines who ate, walked, breathed, and slept death. They were called lictors. And when you would take a malefactor or a criminal, and you would tie them to a post, whether upright or stretched across their back, pulled tight and taut, they would take that cat of nine tails that I have described to you on many of occasions, those nine leather whips ranging anywhere from three to six foot long, and they had glass and bone and metal intertwined under each leather strap, and they had a technique that created torque. Once it would catch hold of the body, they would pull that thing down, and, and that cat of nine tails, that scourge, would just fillet the body of the assailant. Ribbon flesh hanging off of his back. To just a few minutes later, after 39 lashes, they would take a 180-pound beam of wood that was portion of the cross, and that splintery piece of lumber would be laid across his open, bleeding, bloodied back. They pulled the beard from his face, they struck him in the cheek with their fist and they plaited and twisted a crown of thorns upon his brow as blood seeped into sweat and tears and the flesh and the muscle tissue and all the nerve endings were exposed and he walked down that Villa Della Rosa as he fell multiple times under the weight of the cross and they compelled Simon of Cyrene to help him bear his cross and they finally got him to the ugly hill of Calvary and they drove the spikes into his hands. The Greek connotation for the word hand is not of the same physical characteristic that you and I would use when you and I would say hand. And we would say, this is my hand and this is my wrist. But the Greek would say hand and they would talk about everything encompassing the actual palm and the wrist. And they took the spikes, nine inches of Roman metal, and they drove it just to the right or left of the artery, severing the nerve that ran all the way up into the shoulder along the back of the head, pulling the shoulders out of socket, driving another spike through both feet, bringing the body so tight, slumped down in a posture where the only way to exhale would be to push up the pain, surging scent all throughout the body. And he was in that gruesome, horrible place because he was taking mine and yours. His body was tortured. 
his soul was travailed. What was the worst part about the cross? What the emotion that tore his heart from his chest? It wasn't the physical beatings or the nails or the crown of thorns. I believe the worst part about his crucifixion was when his soul was travailed. And he who knew no sin. God has never known or been a partaker of sin in all of eternity, past, present, and future. Except for that one moment when he who knew no sin, subject to human flesh and depravity, became sin. Where all the sin, think about this, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you're committing and every sin you'll ever commit, all of that sin debt and all of that punishment and all of that wrath that God would put on your head at judgment day, he transferred away. The moment you believed that he died in your place and rose for your justification, God took all of that in eternity and he placed it 2,000 years ago upon the soul of his son and he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. I think the travail of his soul was seen when he cried out from the cross and said, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the horror that topped it all was when he became sin and the father who cannot look upon sin had to turn his back on his darling son. And I believe when he turned and looked away from his son, he looked ahead in time and he saw me and he saw you and he saw your children and your children's children. I believe that when he became sin for us, that there was a great exchange made. God saw that Sunday night in the month of October, my senior year, where I would bow my head, an unworthy sinner headed to hell, and I would confess that Jesus is Lord and God would invade my hell and all of heaven would move in and every devil would move out. I just believe that God saw ahead and he saw me in my sin but he loved me anyway because he traded him. He exchanged him. He substituted him for us that we might be made. The righteousness of God. Ponder this 700 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. The prophet Isaiah wrote, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Communion takes us back to the table, and it reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He cried out in his dying breaths. It is finished. He did not say I am finished. He said it is finished. If you're grateful for the pain that Jesus endured, give him praise. Don't ever forget the pain of Christ. May I submit to you in closing the story of Jesus. It does not end with his death or his pain. 
<laughs> For if his pain was the end of him, Paul would have stopped in verse 26 with the word death. For it is death that serves as an end to all of mortal men. But it was not his end. Paul says in verse 26, look at it again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Ah, what's this? Till he come. Whoop, I felt a happy bubble right there. He didn't end it at death. He did not conclude with the pain of Christ. He said, all you do this till he come. For, for one to say that somebody will be coming means that they are presently somewhere else and will be returning. The early church was very sure of their Lord's eventual return. Yeah, but Pastor Derek, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. We're starting to sound like a bunch of yahoos because he hasn't come yet. Have you not read what thus saith Peter in his letter? That one day of, to the Lord is like a thousand years to man, and a thousand years to man is like one day of the Lord. I want to be reminded today that he is alive. And he is somewhere other than the grave in which they buried his body. Can I submit to you and remind you that you cannot find his bones? You will never find his body. You can find the bones of Muhammad and you can find the bones of Joseph Smith. You can find the bones of Buddha and you can find the bones of every pre previous Roman Catholic priest. But you cannot find the bones or the body of our Lord Jesus because he is not dead for he has risen and he is very much alive. Do you hear what I'm saying today? In closing, come on, Pastor Jackson, help me close. We never forget the person of Christ. We never forget the pain of Christ. But in commemorating the Lord's Supper that he instituted, Paul says, we show his death, look at this, till he comes. Meaning that he is somewhere else and will be returning. Never forget the position of Christ. Never forget where he is right now. Concerning the present, I want to tell you that today he reigns. I do not care what Fox News editors say. I do not care what CNN journalists may proclaim. I want to tell you that he reigns. I do not care who is sitting in the White House or who will ascend to that seat in 2024. I do not care who is Prime Minister of the UK. I do not care who is King or Sheik in the Middle East. But I have a Bible promise that tells me that our King reigns and our King is seated supreme on high. I do not fear what man can do to me. I'm not afraid of what's coming in this world for I have read the back of the book and my Bible tells me that this same Jesus that ascended in like manner will one day split open the eastern sky and he will step out on the clouds to call his bride, his body, his building, his brethren. We'll leave this world and be out of here like Vladimir because I got a Bible that tells me Jesus, he sits on high, he looks down low, and one of these days, I said one of these days, he's coming back, and when he comes 
you believe that, if you're looking forward to that, if you can't wait for that, somebody help me. Bless his holy name. I've got a promise that he will come back. Somebody give him praise. He will. He will. He will return. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.